Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, your host as always. With me once again, the one and only Brandon Stevens. Brandon, say hello to the people. Jay, what's up, man? You know what we don't talk about enough? What? About the 90s and how we're on episode 95 and how lit the year 1995 was. <laughs> oh man, I remember some NBA Live 95. Oh, anyway. dude. Hold on. Yeah, I know you do, man. We talk about that a lot. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> do we have to tell this story again? I don't even know what story it is. I'm talking about when, remember you, I told this story like plenty of times on this podcast. You were, this was 1998. Uh-huh. And they, we, you were, first time they're like, oh, Jeremy's finally awake. I think it had been like. Oh, I remember this. It was time. several days, man. Go ahead. And so we come in there and Jay's freaking just like smiling ear to ear because they got you probably on freaking every kind of drug known to man and you're like oh b what's up man hey man how about that nba live 95 and i'm just (laughs) thinking like damn bro it's 1998 man like is this dude ever gonna be the same but here you are man Uh, still uh, talking that shit thanks for telling that story bro you remember now yeah i remember (laughs) I don't remember that happening. I know that. I remember the story. I, I remember. That's like one of okay. the only things I remember. Anyway, people, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Obviously, you found it. If you could share and rate and review and like it, we would appreciate it. Uh, you can really listen on any uh, any podcast platform. But uh, Brandon, yeah, we we are we're doing it, man. We're on episode ninety five. This is crazy, and we have a great guest. The, the today. countdown is on. I know, I'm stressed about episode 100. I don't know what we're going to do, but it's got to be something big. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Anyway. Or we'll uh, just carry on like it's another day, but we'll... That's, yeah, I, we got to do something special, man. 100 episodes. Man, How many podcasts it. get to 100 episodes? It's tough, man. You got to really put in the work. We definitely You put do. in the work, Jay. Oh, I do. I know. You guys don't even understand what this dude does, man. Grinds daily for this podcast. Yeah, I do. I mean, I yeah, it's a real talk, it's man. A labor of love, bro. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but you do the work for the community, man. And I don't, I don't really think. Uh, I know it's um, has been uh, no reward yet, but you know, I'm not even, I'm not even out here for a reward, bro. I just want. Want, want a cure for paralysis. That's the reward, bro. Yeah, that's, that's the that's, that's what I'm what talking about. On. That's what we're working on. Uh, I did find this week, Brandon. Brandon chastised me last week off the off air for not coming up with enough new stories about uh, advancements in spinal cord yeah, injury research. Yeah, because I I just make one little simple Google search and I find like four things. It's true. Well, I found you're back. I found the craziest story. It's not even breaking. It's from October. I feel like I should have been on Uh, this. Okay. So I I found a YouTube video. Yeah. And it was titled something like, Could Asparagus Cure Spinal Cord Injuries? I haven't watched it yet. I sent you the video. I haven't watched watched it yet. I've been busy, man. Yeah, I know. Um, But anyway, uh, yeah, it's it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. So this guy, Andrew Pelling, he... Him and his team of researchers had taken, uh, basically, cut an apple in the shape of an ear, like a human ear, ear, excuse me, and they sterilized it and somehow coaxed human cells to grow on it, which I have... I mean, a piece would, of apple. Yeah, on a piece of apple, and they implanted it. And they didn't say where they implanted well, we're, it. We're the, we're the apple capital of the world. True. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, anyway, they uh, they were able to show that the scaffold, that they were able to use this piece of apple basically as a scaffold. That's what we need. For an ear, right? That's what we need. And, um, the yeah, the, it stimulated, once they implanted it, uh, the scaffold stimulated the formation of blood vessels and the heart human heart i guess was able to keep it going keep the blood flowing keep it to this ear keep the cells producing regenerating on the apple on the apple and so andrew Hmm. this is a ted talk 
it was like an at-home TED talk. Yeah, everybody was at home. And he, yeah, this is, well, yeah, it was December 2020. Right. You said October. Oh, Which one is it? December 2020. Okay, that makes that makes it a little easier to swallow. So he looked at a. He said he was about to cook some asparagus, cut the ends off, and just kind of looked at the end and was like, it "Reminds me of spi- human spinal cord." Uh, and it has like it really does look. They it does. show you know like it sure does. It's, it's got all the. Um, it has like a thing in the. It has like the cord in the middle. And then it has like it some is, soft yeah, tissue like around vas- it. Well, there's vascular bundles, is what he said inside of it. So he's like, "What better, what better, you know, utensil? Because the material, you know, a, a, a piece of fruit or a piece of vegetable is biocompatible with the human, with the human body for sure." And he, it said it actually never breaks down completely, hmm. so it keeps its form, but. And with basically, they tried it on mice first, and you know he talks about how it was you know they hated having to you know uh, hurt mice or you know cut their spinal sever their spinal cords in the thoracic zone. But you know then they show these mice walking around just on their front paws, dragging their their hind legs behind them, and then all of a sudden they put this asparagus like a small you know, mice, you know, not microscopic, but a very tiny piece of asparagus in with no, um, no stem cells, nothing into this mouse's, you know, damaged, uh, damaged spinal cord. And it started walking again, hmm. just, you know, definitely not a hundred percent, but it was, you could it was see moving. it was moving its, its hind legs. They put it on a treadmill was moving its hind legs what and yeah they're and they're just like basically coming to market now with this new with you know they did it so many times that they were able to you know show um enough that they were able to get where is it yeah they were designated for breakthrough medical device by the fda what 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 like they're putting actual asparagus in people? It's actual asparagus. And then I mean, it, they haven't started doing it on and, humans yet. But then do, do they like preserve it with something? I They sterilize it. And I, yeah, it, uh, it didn't uh, say if uh, they preserve uh, it with something. But they're, the thought is that they're going to do the same like they did with the apple. And it won't break down because it's biocompatible with your system, you know, with the human body. And yeah, I mean, it, it basically. Um, Where's the quote? Hold on. And so he said the human body basically doesn't recognize the asparagus as a scaffold. So it doesn't try to, to destroy it mm-hmm. or, you know, fight against it like it would with, you know, something foreign to the body, yeah. which it's just crazy, man. I'm, I'm, I I'm pretty, I'm pretty mind blown right now and not, yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. If you watch the video, you're going to, it's only like an eight minute video. I'll post it uh, with the podcast when we get this up, but it was the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And I mean, how, what if that's the answer to all of our problems, man? It's just this been this asparagus <laughs> sitting there the whole time. We just time. need some asparagus. Crazy. Let's go. That, so I, it ha- yeah, something's out there, man. And this guy's labs, I'll put I'll put a link to his uh, social media as well. But his labs only he only has like fourteen thousand followers on Instagram or something. Well, and on social media, and he's I pretty mean, out there. On, yeah, like he he posts a lot. I can't believe that he doesn't have more. Cause I'm crazy trying to get this guy on the show ASAP. So, well, Brandon, that's awesome, and I'm excited to hear. More. I am too. I am too. Well, hey, this week's guest is. Chris Norton, I'm sure you did not do your homework and watch the Seven Yards movie on Netflix yet, but it's a great interview. We talk about a lot of things in the movie, out of the movie. He's a super inspirational guy. Like, I mean, hey, I don't really appreciate you calling me out on the podcast, man. Hey, you know what? We all have to take accountability, Brandon. But because if this was you and I was calling you out, you'd probably edit it out. <laughs> well, that's you would. I you do. always tell me I'm gonna I have the that editing out. power, bro. Wow, but bro. Anyway, wow. Anyway, anyway. Well, Chris Norton, he's a he's one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. My internet went crazy when we we had started the interview. We're about two minutes in, 
and I lost him. And I, you know, I email him real quick. I'm like, hey, I have to restart my computer. Something's gone. Oh my haywire. god, Jeremy. He was like, no problem, man. Waited in the room for me to get back on. Sick. So, just a nice guy, man. Very that. understanding. I know yeah. I felt terrible. Amateur. Real professional. I know. I know. Anyway, well, let's get to Chris and hear about his story, and we will talk to you guys on the other side. This week on the Live to Walk Again podcast, we are excited to speak with Chris Norton. Chris is a motivational speaker, author, adoptive and foster dad, and a spinal cord injury survivor. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. It's great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate it. So Chris, for anybody that, you know, may have been living under a rock for the last couple of months and hasn't heard about the film Seven Yards, that is about your, your kind of life story from the time of your injury until now, can you, can you kind of run us through how, how your injury happened and, and kind of the aftermath of that? Yeah, it happened over 10 years ago. I was an 18-year-old freshman at Luther College, um, which is a small town in Decorah, Iowa. As an 18-year-old, you know, I have big plans and dreams to be this All-American football player. Well, the sixth game of the season, it's the third quarter. We're mounting this comeback. i running down the field for the kickoff to make the tackle, and I see this opening forming. My instincts are telling me the ball carrier is going to run through that hole and I'm going to stop him. And I tackle him with full speed, full force, but I mistime my tackle just by a split second. Instead of getting my head in front of the ball carrier, the ball carrier's knee strikes the side of my neck and head without, before I know it, I'm lying there on the ground, motionless, listening to the player's, crashing to each other above me. The pile clears, but I don't. I cannot get off the ground. I just lost all the feeling and movement from the neck down. It feels like someone just flipped the power off to my body. It didn't matter how hard I tried to move. Nothing was working. I was confused at first, just thinking it's a a freak accident, like a stinger. My feeling and movement would come back. As time went on, nothing was changing. I began to realize it's a pretty serious deal that was happening. I had no idea it was a spinal cord injury. I was flown out and I was told I had a 3% chance to ever regain any feeling or movement back below the neck. Wow. So when when the tackle happened and you couldn't get up, did you lose consciousness at any point in that? in that time or were you kind of awake and just realize, you know, realizing that you couldn't move at all? I was wide awake, completely conscious. I had no ringing in the ears or any sort of signs of concussion. Uh, Yeah, completely fine, which was made even more confusing to the extent the damage done to my neck. Usually there's a little bit of a combination of both kind of a head neck injury, but nothing to my head it felt like a normal play a normal tackle tackle that i've made hundreds of times but this time was just a little different i couldn't get up um, which was just more odd yeah definitely um so, and then you were airlifted to the mayo clinic is that right yes correct okay that i mean that and that place is i mean pretty world renowned as one of the best spinal cord injury as well as just hospitals in the world so that that was a pretty lucky situation so you're awake during the entire like that must have been crazy man uh you know going from having to have your jersey cut off and all that stuff to getting loaded onto a a helicopter you know once you got to to i mean did you have any kind of sense of what was happening to you or was your mind just just racing i mean did you think like hey maybe I have a stinger and it's gonna things are gonna come back shortly or I mean were were you uh concerned at all with a spinal cord injury was that even a thought in your mind at that point a spinal cord injury didn't even cross my mind um I kind of grew up in this small town Iowa 
nothing really bad happened to me or my family. So I'm, I just assumed things would just work out just fine. But when time went on, uh, nothing was changing. That's when I closed my eyes to try to block out reality because it was so scary um, what was happening around me. As you can hear my kids maybe in the background um, screaming, um, <laughs> foreshadowing what's to come later in the episode, right? Um, but as I was saying, um, okay, yeah, so that, I just never expected that. Things just always worked out. I'm closing my eyes to block out the reality because seeing everything unfold was just too scary. I didn't want to accept it. And by closing my eyes, I began to pray. Just pray to God to give me the strength to walk off the field and be with my teammates. I wanted nothing more than to resume my life. I loved my life. I had these big plans and aspirations. I was at the prime and peak pinnacle of my life, I felt like, as a 18-year-old kid figuring out life and going to college. I felt like I was living the dream. So I did not want anything to be changed. I'm begging God, I will stop playing sports if it means I can walk again. That was a big deal. I mean, to give up sports uh, because I've always loved sports. I love competition, but I really wanted the ability to walk and not have my life change too drastically. But, you know, God had a bigger plan for me than the plan I had for myself. Right, right. You know, once you were in, uh, had been air, airlifted to the hospital and you were in, I guess not, you hadn't gone in for surgery yet, but you were talking about uh, in the film, you talked about them putting you into traction and that it sounded like celery snapping or a celery stick snapping or something like that mm -hmm. as they added weight to your, to like offset your neck. And that, that was that just got me, man. I mean, I, I thank God when I was injured, I didn't, yeah, I don't remember any, I was in basically in a coma for that, that initial period. So I don't really remember anything, but um, I know you talked about when the nursing staff came in the next morning to give you a bed bath and they like pull the, the sheet back and you can't feel your legs. And, and that's kind of when it set into you, like, what, what was that feeling like to you going from the day before your whatever starting player on a college team as a freshman a college football team as a freshman and then the next day you're you know can't feel your legs it was so hard to process because yeah like you said just the day before I was walking I was suiting up playing college football then all of a sudden I'm in the hospital paralyzed from the neck down with a three percent chance to ever feel or move below my neck. And then when these nurses came in to um, pull the sheets back and wash my legs, just seeing them move my body around and not have any connection to it or feeling with it really hit me of just what I've lost and everything I've been working my entire life to gain. I've always been working to get stronger, faster, become more coordinated, athletic. Then for all of a sudden, all that work to just get wiped away and to feel so lost and distant from everything I've ever worked for was really heartbreaking. As I really was mourning the life that I've always dreamed about and would never have. Yeah, that that's definitely a, a lot to deal with. That's, yeah, especially as an eighteen-year-old. Um, you know what? What was it like? I know there was another kind of powerful point in the in the film when um, you said a nurse came in to talk to you, and like the nurses had been coming in and out every couple hours, taking your vital signs and whatnot. Um, and then this one particular nurse had come in and like really was just gave you a powerful message. Can you talk about that story just a little bit? Mm -hmm. It was the fourth night of the hospital stay. That was right 2 a.m. 
at nighttime, I couldn't sleep. That's when all my fears and doubts would really pour out of me. I'm wondering about my future. Will I ever go back to school? Will a girl ever want to be with me? Ever have a family? Be a dad? And will I ever be happy in this new situation? And as I'm lying there, a, a nurse comes in every two hours to check my vitals. Well, this nurse comes in, checks my vitals, but she does something different. She comes over to my bedside, gets down on one knee, says, Chris, look me in the eyes. She was kind of mean about it. I lock eyes with her. She's a short, slender haired woman. She's got glasses and she's has this voice that sounds like she came straight out of a Western movie. She tells me, my name is Georgia. I'm from Wyoming. Do you know anyone from Wyoming? I say, no. I'm thinking, where is this going? She says, well, people from Wyoming don't tell lies. I want you to know you will beat this. You will beat this. I instantly start crying. I needed to hear these words so badly because up to this point, I was questioning whether all the time and effort I would ever put into my recovery, would it ever pay off? Would it matter? But with her words, it helped restore my faith. It gave me confidence to just go for it. The thing about Georgia, too, was that she didn't just say, you can beat this, Chris. It was, you will beat this. I believe her. And after that moment, I feel just this release of just go for it. Go all out. Do everything in your power to make this happen. It's worth it. And I really saw how much an impact one person can make. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and so they, you mentioned earlier that they gave you a 3% chance of ever moving anything below your neck, I believe is what you said. Um, mm-hmm. And so now you're obviously, you know, moving pretty well. You're able to, to stand up, you've taken steps, things like that at this point. But what was, I guess, the, the, when did, what was the first movement that came back? Kind of where were you at? And like, what was the timeline? Like how long after before you were able to like stand up? And yeah, I guess when did stuff start coming back? And like, in what order? And and what was the timeline on that? Yeah, so I would say pretty early on, um, within that first day, I was able to shrug my left shoulder um, beating, you know, that 3% odds. And then it was curling my left arm to my shoulder. And then just day by day, it was a little bit of a muscle firing, maybe in my right bicep, my left bicep, and just kind of worked its way down my, my chest a little bit. Then I started to get a little bit of sensation in my feet. My sisters would cover up my legs with a blanket they would ask me questions, you know, what part of your leg are we touching? And I would try to, you know, tune into what my body was telling me, try to reconnect. And then it was, uh, what was my, my biggest movement with my legs, my toe happened about the fifth week mark. Where I was able to wiggle my left big toe. And then it was, you know, more toes and my calf my bite, my quad started to fire and just kind of piece by piece was able to get some activation. I did a lot of standing weight bearing, whether it was partially weight bearing with a harness system suspending me, the tilt tables, use the local mat, pretty much any way I could get up on my feet, even if I had to hold on to three or four different people to get me on my legs and leg braces and everything. Uh, The standing frame did that a lot, but I I felt that getting my legs, getting up was really helpful for me. Right. Right. Yeah. That's so when did you actually, I guess, how long after 
the initial injury, were you able to start rehab? Did, I mean, did they start it with you right away up there or was it like after, I mean, I know you had that surgery at some point. What was that time frame like? I was fortunately able to go after surgery. So I had surgery on you know, that first night and then five days later, I was able to make it to the rehab floor. Then at the rehab floor, though, the first training session really was to get into my power chair that was reclined backwards because when I sat up at all, I got really lightheaded and nauseated, felt sick. So I had to build up my tolerance to just be in a chair that was tilted backwards. So they put me in there the first day it was 30 minutes. Then I, I felt too sick. They put me back the next day, pushed it to 45 minutes. And then I, you know, just kept stair-stepping it up every single day, trying to go a little bit longer, doing everything in my power to stay focused, not to pass out. I passed out several times, but I knew I had to get in that chair to, to start the process and then eventually able to drive my, my wheelchair um, with a joystick and just kept trying to focus on those little pieces of progress and celebrate those pieces of progress because what was hard for me was comparing myself to my able body self of what I was doing as an athlete. And that was really hard and that was really discouraging. And then it was also discouraging thinking about my goals and how much I want to recover and what I want to get to and how far I still had to go. And that was really discouraging. So I had to really lock in on winning the day, celebrating those little pieces of progress and comparing myself to really my, my new life of when I was first injured, of where I was at then to where I am today. And so that's what I compared myself to because anytime I thought about that old self, it was, it's too discouraging. And I just wanted to throw in the towel. It's not easy, but that's what I had to really do is to let go and mourn that old life and that old athletic able-bodied self. That, that's such, I've never actually heard anybody think about it or explain it in that form. But I mean, that's the yeah, I mean, yeah, if you, if you just base it off of how you were at the beginning, you know, how much gains you've made since then compared to, yeah, your, your, your former uh, walking self. And yeah, it's a, it's a much better way to try to wrap your head around things for sure. So that's, that's, I like that you, uh, I like that a lot. Yeah. It, it keeps me motivated and it kept me motivated to keep going. So I could then see the progress and know that it's worth it versus, yeah, that discouragement. Yeah. You know, talk about what it meant to you. I know at one point in, in the, the movie, your, your dad talks about that he, you've already mentioned it kind of at night when, you know, after you've been, you know, cause like your, your days in rehab are like packed full of, you're constantly doing something, everything's on a schedule, but then at nighttime, you're kind of left to your own thoughts after, you know, everybody goes home and, and all of that sort of stuff. So, your dad talked about, um, I guess, they, your family had set up a caring bridge page for you, and uh, your dad would read you kind of positive and inspirational uh, messages from people on there. Uh, how, how much did that kind of aid in, in keeping you, you know, on a positive path, like mentally and, and emotionally? Having family, friends, community, and strangers, that support system having them reach out, sending encouraging messages, having them just show up to be there to give me company. It meant so much to me. It gave me a little bit of inspiration and motivation myself because I would receive some messages from people saying, Hey, Chris, the way you're taking, the way you're attacking your recovery with such positivity uh, with determination and resilience, it makes me want to use those kind of same um, attitude, those same lessons for my own challenges and how I want to respond 
to the things I'm up against. And hearing that, knowing that I could be a positive example for somebody else going through something hard, it gave my pain a purpose. Even though I didn't want the pain, at least it could be used for something good. So I like that. It gave me a little bit more fire knowing that there's people counting on me to be a good example and to be a good role model. And while, yeah, I, I didn't sign up to be an inspiration. I never considered myself to be an inspiration. I was just trying to get myself better and to heal and recover and get back to my old life. Well, while I'm doing that, it's pretty neat that I can help somebody else with their own challenges. So that gave me a lot of purpose and passion to keep going on those days where I didn't feel like going. I would think about those people who needed my example in their own life. It's a huge inspiration for sure. How long, I want to know how, so how long were you actually in rehab before they discharged you to go home? I was inpatient for roughly three months. And then I was discharged and I went to the Ronald McDonald house just down the street. I happened to be 18 years old right before I turned 19, a week before I turned 19 because the Ronald McDonald house is for 18 and younger, at least at this house. So I was able to go there and do outpatient rehab for the next four months at Mayo Clinic before I actually went home seven months later. Okay. Okay. And then, so when were you able, cause I know in the, in the movie, it talks about you went, your mom was like, you're going back to school, you know, and you, you were motivated to go back to school as well. When, so did you go back in the fall or how, yeah. How long, I guess, was it before you were back in school? Yeah, I went back to school in the fall, which would have been, nine months after my injury. Thankfully, I did have you know, my, my family and friends and people encourage me to make it happen. Um, having that driving force really pushed me outside of my comfort zone when I was nervous. You know, how would I do this? How do I do that? But, you know, when you have a will, there's a way. And my, definitely my family had a, a really strong will. It was there for me too, but they really picked up the phone, made some calls and wanted to ensure everything was taken care of as well. So I'm really fortunate in that sense uh, because going back to school was one of the best decisions I made. Yeah, I know. That, that's great that you were able to get right back to it, uh, you know, at least the following year. Uh, how and in the movie talks also about um, your your friends and, and your roommate and you know, guys from the football team basically being your caregivers more or less um, when you came back to school. And, you know, I know it's a movie, so I don't know. I mean, you probably can't put everything that happened in there, but so, because, you know, dealing with somebody with, with a spinal cord injury, there's some like intimate things that have to happen, you know, on a daily basis. So, um, you know, did you have like caregivers, with you as well as your friends helping you or I mean were your were your friends helping you with all of that sort of stuff too it was a, a combination so I also had um nursing staff that would come uh three times or three or four times a week and then I'd also have like a CNA also come sometimes as well to help me get up in the morning or sometimes my sister would help me as well but no I had for um like going to the bathroom and shower I'd have a a nursing staff but um my friends have also done those things for me as well um not right away but that was something eventually they they would do um that was something really hard for me early on was to allow my friends and other people even my parents helped me out with things that I felt were too intimate um, and too vulnerable. Even so I have a, a super pubic tube, uh, the catheter um, that goes to a catheter bag. Even the idea of, you know, having, you know, my pee on the side of my leg is something I was really insecure about. Even still some today, 
I don't want everyone to see that, but to, I would never ask a friend to drain my bag. It's always going to be someone I was really close with, like my parents or my sisters. Well, eventually my parents kind of pushed me to do it. Um, but asking a friend to help me out. And I started to see that while I might've cared about having this leg bag on the side of my leg, my buddies and other people, they really didn't care. They just wanted me to be included. They want me to be there. They want to hang out with me. And so when I begin to realize that they could care less about some of these things that I was so worried about that I was trying to keep hush hush and quiet about, it really began to give me some confidence to kind of get out there and explore and meet new people. I also realized too, because in the hospital, I was worried about making friends. I was worried about, you know, finding a girl because my identity was so wrapped up in being an athlete and being physically strong and being this manly man. Well, who am I now? Because, you know, that's all gone. Well, I realized that's not what I might've valued that about myself, but that's not what other people value about me. They care about who I am as a person, the love that I give and receive. Those other things are, aren't as important. And while, you know, being an athlete was important, there's aspects of being an athlete that I still have. And really your identity is what you bring to everything that you do in life and not exactly what you do. But um, anyway, those are some of those things that took time to realize and it gave me confidence to kind of go out there and, and try new things. Oh, that, that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, speaking of new things, you had mentioned in the movie that, you know, and you've, already, you've said it a couple of times in, in the interview here too, that you were kind of worried about, you know, dating and, and finding, a, finding a girl eventually to a woman to be to be with um you know talk about emily and how she kind of came into your life and um for those that don't know emily's your your amazing (laughs) wife and um yeah talk about emily and kind of her her entrance into your life Mm -hmm. i would say um a big part of meeting someone uh like emily was i was able it was three years after my injury i got to a point where i began to love myself again I began to see that I had value it didn't matter if I was in a wheelchair that I had something to offer still in the beginning I didn't think that and I don't think I would have if I would have found a girl or have gotten into a very healthy relationship but as I began to see my own value and and that gave me confidence in myself um, was able to then yeah meet Emily Emily is this person who just uh, look past my physical challenges and, and obstacles and just wanted to get to know me for who I was. Uh, she liked the fact that, you know, I started a nonprofit, uh, the Chris Norton Foundation, to help um, re- recovery options for local facilities so they can offer better therapy options and affordable therapy options. So just trying to make a difference. She liked that because she's all about making a difference. She wanted to help kids in the foster care system. But yeah, we met online, hit it off right away, started dating shortly after. It was really special too because Emily would uh, fall for my goal, um, my goal and dream, which is to walk across the stage of my college graduation. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, that's kind of where Barwis comes in as well. So I know in the movie, Emily had shown you uh, a young man walking out who had been paralyzed coming out of the tunnel with the Michigan Wolverines football team. And then she looked up who it was that was had worked with him. And it was Mike Barwis, who was, I guess, the strength and conditioning coach at the time for the Michigan Wolverines. And then that you, I guess you guys looked them up and went to go, go where we kind of moved your whole life to to Michigan to work with them so and also like um side note um my guy Nick Lucius friend of the podcast uh he I saw him in the movie and that was like my first you know my first call was to him and I was like hey man can you get Chris on the to come on the show and uh and and visit with us a little bit and he's like yeah no problem and then so we were linked up the next day I was I'm super thankful to 
to Nick for that. But yeah, talk about um, moving to Michigan. Like I'm picking up your whole life and moving to Michigan and, and working on that goal. Yeah, that was a tough move because we are kind of risking a lot. Um, relocating, I'm relocating Emily as well to go after this dream and goal to walk across the stage and to, you know, one day walk again. And when I get there too, I had set some kind of unrealistic expectations too. Um, I was hoping and expecting I would be working with Mike Barwas, the, the founder all the time, but Mike's a busy guy. He's got a lot of responsibilities and obligations. So he only has so much time and uh, that he can give to everybody. So um, that was hard at first, but then I got to meet Nick Lucius, who you mentioned. He was a, a college student at the time, but I just knew uh, he was special. He had something in him and really pulled out a lot out of me and challenged me and was smart and um, just easy and fun to work with. And plus there's other people at bar with just like Nick where I really bonded and connected with. And so it became a, just a really great place to um, get the most out of you. I enjoyed the atmosphere. It was this training room, athletic training room feel, conditioning, um, like you would feel uh, at college, like a college weight room. Uh, I had that kind of vibe versus a hospital rehab setting where um, there's not loud music going, no one's swearing or yelling at you to get go harder or anything like that there also don't get to where a lot of times pts or ot's i I notice they'll wear dress clothes i know when i'm in a dress outfit i don't want to sweat i want to keep it nice but you know borrowers everyone's in gym shirts and shorts they're there to work out with you pretty much and you really have to work out with you especially as a quad you got to help carry them and do this and that and it can be exhausting even for them too so they push themselves and it's just a great environment and so how long were you actually there working with with nick and and mike at at barwis methods i worked with nick at michigan for almost a full year and then uh, I'll never forget too. Uh, after the graduation walk, um, we're still in Michigan trying to figure out what we're going to do next. Then Nick says in a, in a training session, "Yeah, I'm going to be moving to Florida because they're opening up a facility in Florida. So I'm going to be gone uh, at the end of the year. This is November." And I tell Emily about it, and we're like, "Should we just move to Florida?" I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. And then. The next month we moved to Florida um, just to get out of the cold. We knew we didn't want to be there. And Florida, flat, warm, plus got my great training with Nick. Uh, so it made a lot of sense. Oh, that's that's very cool. That's very cool. So, you know, when did – I know, like, but right before your graduation, a day or so before, um, you had proposed to Emily, and she said yes, and then it kind of – you went from you walking across the stage at graduation with, with her to you wanting to walk down the aisle with her at your wedding. So how much more training went in to that uh, after, after the graduation? I guess how long after graduation did you guys get married? It was about almost three years. I would say initially after the graduation walk, I continued my training. It wasn't, I, I took off a little bit, but at the time, you understand, I was putting in almost four hours a day, uh, five times a week, plus a little bit on the weekends I was doing on my own. So a ton of time, and probably a lot of people are wondering how in the world was I able to afford something like that. Um, it was because the NCAA, so the NCAA sporting event, they have a at-risk insurance policy through Mutual of Omaha. And basically this at-risk insurance policy covers my medical and rehab expenses to a certain degree every single year. So I had these resources to cover an unbelievable amount of therapy hours and equipment 
which is why I'm very fortunate to have these kind of opportunities to continue to train years later. Um, but so that kind of helped me train then for the next almost three years with Nick, uh, a couple hours every single day. Oh, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then, yeah, and then I know that, that it, the movie covers the wedding and, um, and has you, you know, walking down the aisle with, with Emily, which was, which was, uh, you know, definitely a tearjerker. Uh, I won't lie. That was, that was very, that was a beautiful, beautiful scene. You know, I know then at the, the end, and, well, the one thing I want to say is you say at the end, after you're walking down the aisle, like it, it kind of cuts to black for a second. You can hear your voice. Like, I don't know if you're giving a toast or if you're just doing a voiceover, but you're talking about just how anything is possible, I think is kind of the last thing you say in that scene. And that's like a big kind of motto or, or mantra of the podcast here and, and, and the Live to Walk Again Foundation. So I love that, that that was included in it. And then, you know, from there, though, it goes to to your family, to you and Emily. And all of a sudden, you know, you've already adopted your your oldest daughter at that point. And all right, maybe you hadn't quite adopted her yet, but you were working on that. And then all of a sudden it was like four more kids were about to get adopted and you, you know Emily's like how do you feel you know like how do you feel about that Chris and you're like um great like let's you know let's go but you mm-hmm. definitely like it you know it's like wow four kids that's that's a lot so like talk about yeah. kind of the I mean like just I just feel like you and you and Emily are so selfless to be able to do like because she's having to help you a lot I'm sure too and then it's like five kids on top of it, like right um, as you're getting married and starting your life, that's uh, you guys are, you guys are rock stars, man. Just talk. I mean, talk about the, mm-hmm. the, I don't even know what, I don't even know what the question is. I guess I'm just kind of like, you know, yeah. saluting you for, for being so willing to take in some kids that, that needed help. And, and, you know, that's uh, yeah. amazing stuff you guys are doing. Yeah. Thank you. No, it's a large undertaking for sure. Um, We actually began fostering before we were married. So we were taking in kids that needed a home. Uh, And these kids, they really needed just a stable, loving environment. And then they just start to flourish. Uh, They're all special. They're all precious. Um, They're not who of their past or what they've done before. Um, They're just really born in unfavorable situations and um, to be able to show them that they're, they're loved, they're special. It's a really, really neat opportunity. It's given us so much meaning. And then out of, you know, fostering, we, it led to the adoption. Yeah. Of five girls, uh, which is really, really cool. And we're hoping to adopt a six, uh, it's, but it's a boy this time. Um, so we're, we're working on that, but these kids have, you know, you kind of went into it. We're going to bless these kids and really help them, you know, unbreak their past and be chain breakers. But then they give you so much. They bless your life so much, too. And it's just really amazing how much they've given to us. And, yeah, it's just been unbelievable. Yeah, that, that's so that's so amazing what you guys were able to do for for them and like you said them for you as well uh i just have a few questions left for you here chris and i'll let you go but uh i wanted to know you know it it's kind of an underlying theme of the whole movie is your faith and your family's faith you know talk about how that kind of helped get you through and and to where you are now yeah when i was first injured um, well before i was injured i had a faith but it wasn't very strong. It wasn't something that I lived out and really counted on. Um, it was more there if I, in case of emergency. emergency. And then when I was injured, uh, I had nothing to really rely on except for God and my faith. Because in the past, I, I would always take care of it. Uh, I would always try to figure it out versus giving it to God. But this was so big that I had no one I could really lean on besides my faith I could really trust and that would help understand but I I had to wrestle with that though because 
you know, in the Bible, it says, you know, God has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans for a future. As I'm in the hospital, I'm thinking, how do you have plans to prosper me? This is, this is, feels like a plan to harm me. This, I don't understand. You might have made a mistake. I know you're not supposed to make mistakes, but this feels like you're not going to be able to take these broken pieces and make something good out of it. And to be able to use this pain for a purpose, I'm at a loss, but I know what it says that you can do this. And I'm going to believe in that. And it gave me this light at the end of the tunnel and to just trust in him. Although it was hard to do that. Um, there were a lot of times I wanted to give in to fear and not my faith, but thankfully I had yeah, a good supporting cast around me that were encouraging me giving, um, you know, helping me choose that faith. And faith is something you can't see. Oftentimes it doesn't make sense. It's not right in front of you. And that's the whole thing. And you just got to believe in it. And so I believe that God could do something special with my life. Never knew what it would be or what it would look like, but I just held on to that and it kept me motivated as well. Uh, that's beautiful, man. I'm glad uh, it's a great message uh, to share with, with other people uh, in this community and, and that are going through this uh, maybe now, you know, that, that are, are newly injured. So um, the one last thing I wanted to ask you about was, uh, was just the, the making of the movie and like, what, you know, when did the idea for it come about? Um, what was your were you involved in the production of it or the um, anything like that? Like, yeah, just talk about the movie and how that came to be. The first kind of conversation was after my graduation walk and I went viral over 300 million people saw it. And then Kitty Norris, the producer of Photolanthropy, she reached out and just said, Hey, when you guys are starting to plan your wedding, we would love to be there to, offer you photography and videography. We could put together a nice little video. Um, we do documentaries. We, well, they just started doing docu documentaries. I'm like, well, that'd be really cool. We had a nice conversation with her and we told her, hey, we'd let you know when that time came. And then when that time came as we we're planning out our wedding, we reconnected with them. They just happened to be getting done with their previous documentary and they needed another documentary story and it just made sense so we decided it was going to be on my story and uh, that's when planning started and uh, I was very involved with all the strategic planning of what to share and filming started in 2017 actually before the wedding walk and a uh, funny story is that we named the movie the name the movie seven yards before I could even walk seven yards. And so there's no wiggle room in that title. I had to walk seven yards, but um, they, uh, they just were great to work with. They wanted to share something uplifting and inspirational. And that's what my life is all about is trying to encourage others. So it just made sense. Wow. Yeah. And so I know that the film for anybody who hasn't seen it is, is kind of a combination of um you know, interviews, uh, reenactments, and then like home video type footage, it seems like. Um, I was wondering about the reenactments and how your family specifically, like your mom and dad, you know, having to like relive that, the scene where you were injured on the football field, like how, how did that affect them? How'd that affect you? You know, did that bring up any you know bad like was it kind of cathartic or was it yeah how'd that affect you guys going into the reenactment of the football scene I knew I was looking forward to it I thought this would be a, a ton of fun got the shoulder pads and the helmet back on my buddies and I were having a riot with that getting really repadded up I'm also thinking too you know, as a motivational speaker I share my story all the time. I go into the details of we've done a couple of books about my story. So I'm used to reliving it and going to that place. Well, when you have all the gear on, 
you're at the same football field lying in the exact same spot with uh, the same sort of crew and medical team all around. It was spooky. It was really eerie. And it brought me back to that moment and feeling um, sad for that 18 year old kid that was lying there. And while I knew it turns out fine, I love my life. I wouldn't go back and change it um, because it's opened too many doors and blessings now. But I felt sad for that 18 year old kid that was lying there struggling, trying to figure out what the heck is going on and what's my life going to look like. Um, so I kept wiggling my toes and um, moving my, my arms around every single chance I could just to remind myself, hey, it's not 2010. Um, and you're not at that place. Um, but there's moments like that where um, they were, it was very spooky. I know it was really hard at times for my family to go there. There's um, real tears and real emotions because it was that real and raw. But I knew, my family knew, the crew knew it was important to recreate some of these moments that we don't have on camera just so that people can see it and feel it and, and actually go to that place because it would be a pretty boring documentary if it was just our faces talking the entire time without actually kind of seeing how things unfolded, even if it was a reenactment. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I was wondering, cause I, I, yeah, I was watching, I watched the movie once and then I was watching it back with a friend and uh, you know, it showed when it's showing you get airlifted or you brought off the helicopter or whatever on the stretcher. And he was just like, he's like, were they filming when this happened? I'm like, no, no, I'm pretty sure it's a reenactment. And he's just like, okay, I thought they were on top of it, ready to make a studio and that all happened. So yeah, I was, uh, I just wanted to know, like, I, uh, you know, what it was like for everyone. Cause I, I mean, that must've been, that must've been pretty, uh, pretty intense. So uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, Chris, Chris Norton, man, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and kind of telling your story. And you know, I appreciate appreciate what you're doing now. And 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 I guess oh, that's the one thing. I so what you know, what's the future hold for you? You're just gonna keep you know doing your your motivational speaking and and things like that. Or what? Yeah, what, what's uh, what's the future hold for you? Yeah, the future for me, I'm gonna do the motivational speaking. That's gives me so much purpose in my life. I enjoy seeing people, meeting people, encouraging them, helping them through their own challenges and obstacles. I'm gonna continue to, to grow the foundation that we started. I have a, a wheelchair camp for kids with physical challenges and their families. Um, so they come out for a whole, like there's like four nights where we do zip lining, horseback riding, laser tag, a bunch of other just fun camp activities. And it's just really empowering for, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, we have to sit on the sideline and watch everybody else do things. Uh, they might not always be adaptive. Well, this camp is all adaptive where everyone's included, even the siblings and parents. So it's just a really, really fun time. So we, we run that and it's all free through donations. That's cool. So we'll yeah, so we'll have that this summer and we have that every summer. Uh, and then just, yeah, just raise a, a happy, healthy family uh, or a growing family. I don't do nearly as much training as I used to. My priorities have shifted to family and career. Something that I've discovered while I want to walk again and that would make my life so much easier. I'd, I'd love to be more have more strength. I also have identified though that, you know, happiness isn't measured by steps and that there's people who can run, jump and swim who are unhappy. So clearly, you know, happiness has you know, nothing to do with your physical abilities and everything to do with your, your mindset, your perspective. And so I'm very intentional to focus on what I can do, my abilities, what I do have, what I am getting, what's going right. Those are the things that I'm really putting a lot of energy towards. While it's super easy to go the opposite direction, 
Um, I mean, we're all human. It's, it's very tempting to think about what's wrong, what could be better, um, what you don't have, but that just completely wrecks me and destroys me and discourages me and puts me in a bad place. So I have to fight that urge every single day and just pour in on the person that I can be. And I see that show up a lot as a dad, as a parent. I always dreamed about being the dad that was super active and showing my kids how to throw a football and swing a bat and uh, throw them around the pool like my dad did for me. I can't be that dad. And I've come, while that's not easy, those feelings will never go away of that frustration. But um, I can get through that because I know I can be a, I still can be a great dad by being a present and loving father, um, same as you know a husband and um, other areas of my life. I'm always looking for that person that I can be, even if it's not the one that I planned on. It can still be a good, meaningful life, regardless. Oh, that's such a beautiful way of looking at things, Chris. I. I... Yeah, I definitely applaud you and Emily for, for all you guys are doing for adopting and fostering children and and just, you know, you putting your story out there to, to inspire, you know, everyone in our situation is, is, is such a such a wonderful thing. So, yeah, I definitely appreciate you coming on. Where, where can people connect with you? Um, you know, people that want to maybe get involved with either donating to your foundation or, or taking part in the camp that that you put on, um, you know, give, give like your socials out and your, your website and stuff. Yeah. Go to chrisnorton.org. That's where you can learn about me, my speaking, the foundation books, film. It's all right there. I have an email newsletter too, to keep up with me, what I'm doing, some messaging. And then also for socials, um, you can follow me at Chris, a Norton 16, and I'm, I'm on Instagram actively, Facebook, and then I have the other socials as well, but I'm mostly active with Instagram and uh, YouTube, uh, sorry, Facebook. Okay. Yeah, we will, uh, we'll definitely include those with the, with the podcast here so everybody can check you out. Um, and, and yeah, hopefully donate to your foundation and, or, or if, if somebody's out there that, that would like to, you know, take part in, in the camp or anything, then they can get a hold of you there too. So uh, yeah, Chris, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. This has been a blast and I uh, feel like I have like 20 other questions I could still, still come up with, but uh, you know, I, I want to leave it there. We've been going long enough, but uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Yeah, that sounds great. I appreciate it, Jeremy. All right, man. Take care. You too. All right. All right. I just want to thank Chris Norton once again for being on the show. Uh, just what just a sweetheart of a guy man no doubt about it and Brandon the thing that gets me is like this as if this injury wasn't hard enough to deal with this guy and his wife Emily are literally the two most giving people I've ever seen that's what life's all about Jay just like they've adopted five children now I think and yeah, that's purpose, like, man. Purpose yeah. driven now. I mean, Absolutely. it's all, it probably all comes into perspective, I guess. Yeah, it does, man. I just couldn't even imagine. You know, that know. movie gets a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes. That's, is that, I don't, I don't remember. Like, is that great? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a great movie. Great movie. I highly recommend it. Everybody go watch Seven Yards. Check out Chris and his foundation and, and the great work that they're doing. We'll have all the, the links to their social medias and websites and everything uh, posted with the show but yeah um you know brandon i'm excited for this asparagus guy to come on hey i just want to thank you publicly on this podcast for letting me have this booch yeah we're we're, we're good man we're drinking kombucha over here we're, yeah. we're super healthy on the live to walk yeah. again now i'm off the i'm off the alcohol for like a month i'm off coffee now for coffee too i quit coffee you, again. how are you getting caffeine i have a little black tea sometimes huh you're just, a couple glass i did cut down on a lot of caffeine but i don't know about cutting it all out a couple cups of uh black tea 
I'm I'm off the uh, no more no more smoking edibles only. Yeah. Got the CBD absolutely. drops. Got the uh, CBD drops. I've been I've been taking the uh, shout out to Magical. I've been taking those CD, CBD drops. Um, yeah. Got every the mushroom. 50 milligrams every night. Got the magical mushroom powder. Not magical as in hallucinogenic. Uh, too magical bad. as the in the company magical yeah. mushroom powder, which is you know great for all kinds of stuff, including you know reconnection of and growth of of neurons. So. That's a big one for anybody. You got, you got an ex, any extra? No, I don't. We can probably get some from uh, Kai Bickle or Garen Angel. Shout out Kai Bickle and Garen Angel from Magical. Appreciate you guys. But, yeah, you know, I'm, I was – when I watched this movie, Brandon, Seven Yards, which you still haven't watched, but I know you're going to. Uh, he, I actually didn't even know that's th- that 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 was this week, and you didn't even send me a reminder, so I'm a little disappointed. But I mean, yeah, we're all adults. You should have told though. me to watch I, it, dude. It's you can watch it. You now. never did. <laughs> I've ha- I've told you multiple times to watch it, though. I have. Really, really. Wait. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's on Netflix. Everybody should check it out. It's it's just a powerful movie. And we talked in the interview. You all have already heard this, but about Chris's family and friends they did all the reenactments so it's like that's how the movies broke down it's you know like present not present day but whatever a few years ago interviews reenactments and then there's some home video footage of him in the hospital and it's I mean I couldn't imagine having to like lay back in a hospital bed and do like recreation of of you know when, when he got injured all this it's just it's a wild wild movie his mom you know like gets you crying a couple times in the movie his okay dad. So i'm, it's, uh, I'm it's looking great. forward to it yeah it's great I, I highly recommend it but yeah you know with, without uh i think we're good man i think that that's a wrap I, I you know we appreciate everyone listening again if you could like you know share where your whatever podcast uh platform you're listening on if you're allowed to share it rate it review it whatever the case may be five stars only uh but yeah we will be back next week and we appreciate you all listening